Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. Our American ship of state has been set on a perilous and unpredictable course by events not in our direct control. Our founders, guided by a firm vision of individual freedom based on natural law rights, created a system of government that protected the sovereignty of each person and their state of residence. It was a simple system of divided authority with checks and balances that promised and ensured a live-and-let-live society in which the inalienable rights of the individual could be protected and secured. It was designed to be a distinct and definitive contrast to and a repudiation of the old-world system of titled, arrogant, elitist rulers who had enslaved most of humanity for centuries. The Constitution even forbids the granting of titles of nobility. And if the words of our founding documents had been adhered to, the American ideal of freedom would still be a reality instead of a fading memory. Our founders, men of faith and moral character, anticipated the challenges we would face and gave us many tools to prevent treachery, cheating, and outright treason. But they could never have anticipated the relentless and continuous battle being waged by the ousted monarchy to take back what they view as rightfully theirs. We are now in the final stages of that war, and the enemies of freedom, smelling victory, are speeding full bore towards the finish line. In the past, I have written several articles that you can read on my website, Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum, that deal with the principles that protect us from tyranny and how they have been subverted to steal our nation from us. In The War of Coastal Aggression, I discussed how, as a nation, We are divided along geographic and philosophical lines similar to the decades between 1828 and 1860 that led up to our horrible war of northern aggression. Today, the geographic divide is coastal versus interior 
and urban versus rural. The absolute and deep philosophical divide is the individualism of the constitutional conservative versus the collectivism of the global elite and their brainwashed, useful idiots. In The Bitter Fruits of Group Identity, I discussed how identity politics has created a bitterness in our society, aggravated and abetted by a biased media and the political elite the citizens of our nation are now divided, usually without their consent, into identity groups based on identifiable characteristics used to serve a political agenda. At its worst, guilt for the misdeeds and sins of any single group member is forced upon all group members whose unified apology and punishment are demanded. This is the very antithesis of our inseparable founding concepts of individual freedom and personal responsibility. In the democracy deception, I wrote, most people who use the term our democracy do not understand the constitutional system that limits the power of our federal government. Democracy is mob rule in which an entire group is controlled by 51% of its members. By a simple majority vote, the rights of any individual or the entire group can be altered or eliminated and new rights invented and conferred. Decisions concerning the life of each member are made by the majority based on group needs, not the desires or wishes of the individual. The United States is a constitutional republic. Our constitution limits the power of both the federal government and the states, specifically preventing any governmental entity from abolishing the natural law rights of the minority, even a minority of one. In the genius and necessity of the Electoral College, I explained why our Constitution would never have been ratified without the Electoral College. In 1790, there were 13 states. The five largest states made up 63% of the entire country in terms of population. And the six largest states had 71% of the population of the entire country. Given the fragility of the Union under the Articles of Confederation, given the loyalty of citizens to their own state rather than to the federal government, and the opposition to being ruled by an overpowering central authority, any contract that did not offer a reasonable balance of power among the states was doomed to rejection. In other words, having just ousted a monarch, how difficult a task would it have been to convince the six smallest states to agree to a constitution in which they would have virtually no say in the selection of the federal executive. So right now in December 2020, 244 years after the Declaration of Independence, our nation is so deeply divided that peace can only be achieved if one side is totally vanquished. Individualists would have to agree to cede control of their lives 
to the government. Or collectivists would have to agree to take responsibility for their own lives. Neither is going to happen. Against this backdrop, we have all seen the obvious video evidence of overt voter fraud that gave victory in November to the presidential candidate who was a career politician with criminally dirty hands whose party plans to eviscerate the Bill of Rights and impose a collectivist tyranny on all of us. Over 70% of those who voted for the incumbent president believe that he won and that the victory was stolen by fraud and deceit. Obviously, we all have questions that need answers. When we return from our commercial break, it will be my privilege to discuss these constitutional matters with my good friend and constitutional scholar, Bob Levy, chairman of the board of the Cato Institute and author of the impressively researched book, The Dirty Dozen, How 12 Supreme Court Cases Radically Expanded Government. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Bob Levy, the author of The Dirty Dozen, chairman of the Cato Institute, noted authority on the Constitution, and the lawyer who successfully argued the Heller Second Amendment case in front of the Supreme Court. Bob, you have been a guest many times on Freedom Forum Radio, and it is again an honor and a privilege to have you back again. It's great to be with you, Dr. Dan. Well, Bob, there's so many things, so many critical topics to discuss. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, with you, I want uh, to discuss with you for my edification and for our listeners, the constitutional challenges that we now uh, face. So for starters, could you outline the process by which we elect the president? Well, the election this year was set by federal statute to occur on November the 3rd. And although the candidates' names are on the ballot, we actually vote for electors, who in turn are pledged to vote for each of the candidates. And then the electors meet and vote this year. That occurred on December the 14th, two days ago. And they do that in each state. And those ballots go to Congress. Congress has the task of finalizing that outcome on January the 6th next year, after which the president, the final step, is inaugurated on January the 20th. When you talk about um, these electors that are in the individual states, um, how are they chosen? Article two of the constitution provides that each state uh, can appoint electors in any manner that the legislature directs. As long as they establish that process before the election, they can't of course change the rules after the election has been held. All 50 states have opted to choose electors by popular vote. Uh, Congress can challenge the electoral outcome in one or more states but presumably won't do so uh, if the vote count in the state has been certified by state election officials at least six days prior to the electoral college meeting. 
So since the meeting was on December the 14th, that deadline, it's called the safe harbor rule, would have been six days prior, December the 8th. This year, 2020, all of the vote counts except Wisconsin's were certified. And in Wisconsin, uh, there was no indication, at least none acceptable to a court, of any basis for a congressional challenge. So the electors in each state are chosen by by popular vote. Uh, was there ever a time when that was different uh, in in our the history of our country? Well, we've had situations where the final outcome was decided by Congress because nobody got a majority of electoral votes, and we can talk about that in a moment. Uh, but from the beginning, the states have all decided that they would have the president elected or rather the presidential electors elected by popular vote. They did not do that, as you know, uh, for the Senate. Initially, the Senate was elected by the state legislatures. That was changed by the 17th Amendment. But you have electors. Uh, in the very beginning, wasn't George Washington sort of uh, unanimously elected without popular vote? Or was yes. there actually a popular yeah. vote back then? No, it, the, it, it, at the beginning, in the very first president that we had, it was uh, unanimity. For obvious reasons. He was, <laughs> he was a great man. and We owe a lot to him and, and, and our founders for giving us at least the opportunity to have what we have. When, when this comes before Congress, that means, of course, the full Congress, the House and the Senate? Yes, it does. And so they are then presented with votes of the 50 states, and uh, they can they challenge them in any way? Yeah, the, the Electoral Count Act, uh, this was passed back in 1887, requires Congress to consider any papers purporting to be uh, certificates of the electoral vote. So there can be more than one slate that claims legitimacy for a given state, and that's happened in the past. Uh, if one slate only has been certified, then Congress will accept that slate under ordinary circumstances. If there are multiple slates and none of them have been properly certified, then Congress has to choose. And Congress will also weigh in if at least one House member and one senator objects to a state's electors. If Congress weighs in, both houses have to agree. If there's no agreement, if the House votes one way and the Senate the other as to the appropriate slate for a given state, then the Electoral Count Act says that Congress has to select the state, uh, the slate that has been approved by the state executive, which is the governor in most states. And if there's still no resolution, for example, if the governor hasn't approved of either slate, then none of the electors would be counted for a given state. This year, the slates in all of the contested states were in fact approved uh, by the governor. So uh, what would happen then on January 6th, for instance, if there was a Biden slate and a Trump slate, let's say from the state of Georgia? Well, the House, which is controlled by the Democrats, would no doubt pick the Biden slate. Uh, the choice in the Senate is less certain 
because on January 6th, you know, we're going to have a new Senate and the new Senate is going to be 48 Democrats and 51 Republicans. The Purdue runoff in Georgia, <clears throat> which is on January 5th, probably won't yet be certified by the 6th. And Leffler, uh, the other Georgia senator, she will already be seated because she was appointed to replace uh, a retiring senator until a permanent successor uh, could be elected. So it would appear that Republicans would have the edge in the Senate on January 6th. But bear in mind that a number of Republican senators, uh, for example, Romney, Collins, uh, Murkowski, Ben Sass, uh, they've already congratulated Biden. And so they might therefore uh, select his slate of electors instead of Trump's, uh, if indeed there is a uh, controversy on January 6th. So that's kind of an interesting thing that uh, uh, Leffler, who was appointed, is going to still be in power. Even if she doesn't win her election, she will have been seated and will actually help make that decision. Uh, I guess you're right, though, from the numbers do not favor upsetting or, or accepting a challenge. Is that correct? Yeah, I doubt that there's going to be a challenge. Um, Mitch McConnell seems to be uh, encouraging his colleagues not to mount a challenge. Uh, there is one House member who said that he will mount a challenge. Uh, but even if there is a challenge, um, it is most unlikely to have any effect at all. And if it has an effect, it's most likely to have significant uh, enough effect to alter the uh, the electoral um, the majority. So I would imagine, though, that uh, if all if all of the all of these steps fail, OK, or if for one reason, neither candidate is able to win a majority of electoral votes, what happens after that? Well, currently the electoral count is 306 to 232. <clears throat> so to produce a tie 269 to 269, you'd have to have 37 electoral votes switch from Biden to Trump. Um, now that could happen. Uh, I doubt it. But uh, if, the, if it happens, the 12th Amendment says uh, if neither candidate wins a majority, that would be 270 uh, of electoral votes, then the House elects the president. And in the House, each state would get one vote. So it would take 26 votes. Uh, to win. Now, it looks as though if that were to come to pass this this uh, time around, it looks as though Republicans in the House are going to control somewhere between 26 and 29 states on January the 6th. The Democrats will control somewhere between 21 and 24 states. I think there are three states that are presently undecided. So the Republicans would probably uh, uh, have an edge in the House if it were to come to that, but I doubt that it will. Well, so in other words, you really have a you have to have a situation where thirty seven votes would switch. Right. How how could that even happen? Well, I don't believe it can happen. I mean, you know, technically it could happen, but I think the the dynamics are such that it's not going to happen. Uh, we don't. Uh, I doubt that even any state is going to switch its votes, uh, and it would take um, several states to do so to alter uh, Trump's. Uh, defeat by Biden. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property. 
that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Thank <laughs> you.